Previously on Puppy and the Possum. All right, so this podcast is instead about this movie that we watched. I was about to say the year it came out, but I don't know because I didn't do any research. Well, I did. So this is the fun part. I did a ton of research, so I have uh, I can set the set the page here, set the history for you. Um, whereas Bo took so much. They asked. I see you making fun of me. Uh, Bo took so many notes. See, I watched the movie and like barely took any notes whatsoever. Whereas Bo has. I took six notes pages. on everything that happened. Six pages. Six pages. Yes. So I'm excited. So of I handwritten I, notes. Yeah. So I figured I would start with uh, with the history. I, f- I figured I'd set the scene. That's the word I'm looking That's for. That's what you were I'm, looking for. I Set the page I'll, is not a thing. That's what that face no. was. I'll set the scene for us with the, uh, with some history. And then you can you can be in charge of asking the questions slash okay. guiding the, the discussion of the actual movie. All right. All right. So I figured we'd start with sort of the man who started it all, Walt Disney. Okay. So Disney the started himself. the man himself. Walt started animation in Kansas City. Um, he started with advertisements, uh, but he in 1923 he moved to uh, Los Angeles and started an animation company with his brother Roy Disney. I have yes. a question. What is your question? Um, how established? How long had animation itself been happening before Walt? Okay. So animation was, uh, I actually have a whole big section on how animation works and what animation, how you make animation back in those days that okay. I was going to get to. But um, so cartoons at the beginning of movies was a, a, was a thing by this point. I don't have the exact date by, uh, of which the, like, the first cartoon came out, but like cartoons at the beginning of movies so you know how they used to do like a cartoon and then like a newsreel and then a movie that was well established by the time disney uh he gets commissioned to do um basically shorts for before movies for for universal studios actually okay uh hires him first so uh so yeah waltz moved to los angeles in 1923 uh and him and his brother roy started a business together roy was totally the money man he was the one who knew all the financial good stuff so uh so the first thing so he had a distributor uh disney worked for a distributor named charles mintz okay um and under him he he did a couple of uh film or not films but you know there or there are films but they're short films they're you know little cartoon sketches much like looney tunes or the early mickey mouse stuff which we'll um, get to mickey in a second did he do the goddess of spring one or was that that's not else? yet that's okay. coming that's coming i've seen that one fun stuff to- I've had fun stuff to tell you about that stuff. So yes, so no, uh, he so he had, what he did is that he had done a couple of cartoons in Kansas City and he presented them to I don't remember who exactly, but he got to do these Alice in Wonderland things. And what they were is Alice was an actual real life person, and then everything else was cartoon. So it was a little girl okay. actually getting put into cartoons. So it was a hybrid stuff with his first stuff. But then uh, Charles Mintz got commissioned by Universal Studios to make. Uh, a rabbit they wanted a rabbit character so mince turned to uh walt and asked him for this character so walt and his he walted by this point had stopped drawing he he was a cartoonist he had done some car- drawing cartoons and stuff and he'd worked for some newspapers and again he worked for the ad agencies but he knew he wasn't an amazing drawer so he had a friend named i suddenly have lost the name 
he had a friend. Oh, he had a friend named Ub Iwerks. What's his name? It's U B I W E R K S. First of Ub all, Iwerks. wild. Second of all, you forgot that name. Well, I couldn't see. I I I, I wrote it phonetically. Oh, okay. That was more of what I was looking for. I didn't forget the name. I knew his name was Ub, but I didn't want to pronounce it wrong because I looked it up. I went and found YouTube videos about him so I could learn his name. So he hired uh, Ub Iwerks. Uh, Ub. 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 Ub Iwerks. So he hired Ub Iwerks. uh, Sorry, Iwerks like optometry? It's spelled I-W-E-R-K-S. Almost like twerking, but with an I and not T. Iwerks. Iwerks. I sure hope it does. (laughs) Anyway, keep going. That was mean. All right. He works with so Ub. And him created Oswald the Ru- Lucky Rabbit. Now, there's not a lot of pictures who I have heard of. Have heard of. Yes. Yeah. So he created Oswald the Lucky Rabbit, right? Uh, he went, so he went to his, he went to Charles Mintz. And he had a couple other people working for him at the time they were making Oswald the Lucky Rabbit videos, right? So feeling. And, and he was like, what if we did this again, but a rat? Well, no, wait. It, it gets better. So. So he went to, um, and Oswald the Lucky Rabbit did pretty well. It uh, was one of the first cartoons that had merchandising. People liked Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. So, uh, okay. but here's the thing. So Disney was feeling good about uh, Oswald. So he went to uh, Charles Mintz and essentially Universal and asked for, he was like, can I have more money so I can start doing more innovations? He's like, I want to I wanna sophisticate Oswald. I want to sophisticate all of this stuff. And Charles Mintz came back to him and said, you know what? I've hired everyone who works for you except for Ub Iwerks. They all now work for me. Universal owns the right to Lucky Oz, Lucky Rabbit Oswald. You cannot do anything with him that's not for Universal. And so Disney was, Disney was sad. And so on the train ride back to California, he thought of a mouse. So he got back to his studio in California and he went to Ub Iwerks and he said, I've got this mouse idea. Help me draw him. So Ub Iwerks is the actual guy who drew Mickey Mouse. He is. Okay. He is the actual. So why don't I know his name then? I don't know. There's a lot of people here. who Is it because it's Ub Iwerks? Maybe. And he he ended up forming a rival company, I think, to Disney. He ended up so Disney erased him from history. I don't know about that, but he eventually left. So they made two Mickey cartoons. No one would buy them. But then sound became a thing. So sound, the jazz singer, okay. you know, the infamous jazz singer, that came out yes. in 1927 for time reference. Here, okay. Right. So uh, the next year is 1928 is the year that Mickey is born. Disney was all about the innovation, right? So Disney immediately was like, let's do... Uh, let's pair sound with this cartoon of this mouse that we've named Mickey. And Mickey's, the name came from his wife, Walt's wife. She was the one. He mm, Like she thought of it or she was named Mickey? No, she was named Lillian, I think. Uh, no, she, uh, Walt wanted to name Mickey Mortimer, but she thought that was too stuffy. Right. So she was like, you should call him Mickey. And he was like, oh, that's a good idea. And then many years later, baby Franny was like, Mickey, Mickey, Mickey. Mickey. That was, he was my th- He's my thing for years and years and years. So they paired Mickey with sound and Steamboat Willie happened, which is, of course, the infamous whistle. So that's that's okay. uh, that's uh, Steamboat Willie. So Mickey was huge. 
Mickey was the biggest hit. Immediately, people wanted Mickey. Uh, studios wanted to buy Mickey from Disney, but he learned from his Universal Oswald problem that he was like, nope, I own the rights to this. Mickey is mine. Uh, but uh, immediately, huge, I mean, watches and pocket squares and everyone wanted Disney or wanted Mickey. Uh, and so there was, it was to the point of a natu- national catchphrase happened. When something was a disappointment, they said, what? No Mickey Mouse, because it was a huge disappointment if there wasn't a Mickey cartoon before the movie. Like, that's what everyone wanted. Uh, movie theaters would bill a Mickey Mouse cartoon, like, over their movie because they knew it would draw people in. To, they would just come to see the little Mickey short before the movie. But Disney didn't want to be pigeonholed. He didn't want Mickey, he didn't want to rest on his laurels. He didn't want Mickey to be his only money thing. And he wanted, again, to innovate. So he started doing these things called Silly Symphonies. Okay, yes. So Silly Symphonies, the very first one, do you know on Tumblr when you see around Halloween, when you see the skeletons dance? That is the very first Silly Symphony. That is from Walt Disney, which I did not know and was an amazing, fun surprise. So yeah, those skeletons like playing bones and everything and doing the weird things, that's, that's Disney. That's the very Okay, first. I definitely would have thought that was Fleischer. Nope, that's Disney. That's the very first Silly Symphony called Skeleton Dance or whatever. So uh, he made a couple of Silly silly Symphonies. They did pretty well, but they didn't become huge until he jumped on the color train. So Technicolor came out with, they had a, there was, a, there was Technicolor stuff before this, but they came out with their three color system, which was basically full color uh, right around this time. And Disney... Disney loved it so much and he immediately made an exclusive deal because uh, Paramount and Flesher actually kind of, pa- or Paramount made Flesher, someone made Flesher not do it. He, he ended up saying no and Disney immediately was like, okay, I want exclusive rights to this. Did you look up the way that's pronounced? I don't know how that's pronounced. I think it's Flesher. Flesher? Okay. So we'll say. Flesher is a little too spooky. <laughs> so I, they are spooky, but they're not Flesher spooky. Right, Flesher. Uh, but I could be wrong, so Fleischer's don't Flesher's doing quote Betty me. Boop at this time. So Betty Boop is happening at this point. Um, we'll talk about Betty Boop. Yeah, all that kind of stuff is happening at this point. This is all around the same time. So it's the new three full color, technicolor thing, and Disney signs an agreement with them, and his first silly symphony, Flowers and Trees, is the first color. Uh, okay, first yes, I've seen big, clips of that. Yep, first real big color uh, cartoon, and that's that's Disney, and um, and it's a huge hit again. And so, but his really his biggest silly symphonies hit is the Three Little Pigs. So this is why the Big Bad Wolf okay, is a character. Wow. Yes. So and uh and with and, and as in becomes, who's afraid of the yes, Big Bad Wolf? Written by Frank Churchill, who wrote the music for Snow White. Who's afraid of the Big Bad Wolf? Was oh wow! For that okay. silly symphony. By Frank Churchill. But that is the big one. And that's why uh, the Big Bad Wolf is... I, Devin and I were watching some of those old uh, sing-along song videos. And there's the one with the park. And then, you know, they do this, the Grim Grinning Ghost song with all the bad guys. And the Big Bad Wolf is in there. And I was always like, what? And it's because it's from this, uh, the Silly Symphonies. The Silly Symphonies is also where we get our first appearance of Donald Duck. Uh, certainly Donald Duck. I'm not... I think Goofy showed up with Mickey. Um, not a silly symphony, but Donald Duck was from a silly symphony. Something about the hen. We'll talk yeah. all about them more later. I have a bunch of stuff about Huey and Louie and uh, Huey, Louie and Dewey and uh, Chip and Dale and stuff. I, I found a bunch of stuff about them, but I figured we talk about them if we ever get around to doing television shows, or even if we wanted to do like the Ducktales movies. So that's a whole other thing. 
So I figured I'd take a pause here in the, in our story. Uh, so we've got Disney. He's working on Silly Symphonies. He's making Mickey Mouse cartoons. They're making something like ten cartoons a year. It's 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 a bunch. Uh, but I thought I'd take a moment here to explain the animation style and how it was work. And it's traditional animation, or most commonly known as cell animation, C E L, short for cellulose, because that was what they used. So uh, the way a cartoon would start, any cartoon, um, you would start with a storyboard. So you would, you know, storyboard out the whole story, which you do with sort of any video, any movie really. But uh, cartoons is especially important and it looks like a comic and they put them all up and they talk about things there. From there, they write a script and they create a soundtrack or scratch track. Uh, I like calling it a scratch track because that feels a little bit more accurate than soundtrack, but I think most videos that I saw called it a soundtrack. But that's mostly all major dialogue and major songs. Uh, there's some incidental music in there, but some of that can be changed later, but it's it's the big stuff. And they needed to record that so that they could then fit the animation to, it was easier to fit the animation to the recording rather than the other way around, which is backwards to what I thought okay. it was. So, uh... Once then, they would make something called an animatic, which the frame was co- the phrase was coined by Disney, I guess, uh, which was the storyboard synced with the scratch track, uh, and it was a super rough edit, and that was a really good time to practice timings. It was a really good way of trying to, though Disney with the first, with Snow White, as we'll learn later, was really bad at this, but it was supposed to be, you're supposed to look at that and determine then if scenes aren't needed. It was supposed to be the big major editing because everything after this gets expensive, so... But he is bad at that. Disney's really bad at that. He puts a lot of stuff on the cutting room floor. So, but uh, later and later and later in the process. Anyway, so then uh, once the once the animatic is, is the first animatic is done, um, it's given to the design department, the uh, inspiration artists. Uh, what's the actual word I'm looking for here? It's the um, uh, concept art concept artist that's the word i'm looking for so concept oh, artist uh, uh, with all the love in my heart duh uh, i know i was blanking on the word it happens so the uh it's given to the uh design department and the concept artists and they start creating pictures at this point as well um but then uh, eventually everything is is created into model sheets which standardize everything so there's each character is given, and each character in each uh, sort of major prop is given a basic look and then a, a couple of uh, sample like facial expressions or uh, example looks. And, and the looks are supposed to be sort of 3D, so they got front and back. And occasionally uh, maquettes are uh, created, which of course are small statues and stuff like that. So uh, while the, the script is being written and stuff, the, those things are being finalized so that there's model sheets for everything so that all the animators can sign sort of work together so that it, everything is uniform to a certain degree. So that's what off-model means. Yeah. Yes. One something. Yes. So then it's given to the timing director, um, and the timing director listens to the scratch track, and he analyzes all syllables and silences to see how many frames go in each one, and it's 24 frames per second. So that's 24 drawings per second. In 24 frames. Yeah, I thought you might want to reference that song. Anyway, so the timing director sits there and he he figures, figures out the syllables. So in the time it would take a character to say the time it would take, he would say that's so many frames need to be drawn with that. Uh, so and then during that also there's layout artists who are they're creating the camera angles. Um, they do sketches of the scenes that show proportions uh, and relationships with characters to like the backgrounds. Uh, they they make comments on what the lighting should be like. 
uh, what general poses should be done, etc. Right. So uh, once all those things are done, once the timing's done, once the model sheets are done, and once the layouts are done, and um, the timing director and the layout uh, artists write things on what are called exposure sheets or X sheets. And um, this thing is super important. Any changes had to be written on here because this sheet is what told the photographer at the end what they needed to do in order to photograph the pictures to be put on film. So that's a super important thing. It's called an X sheet. Once all of this is done, it's given to the actual animators. So there's the head animators and they're above, uh, armed. I wrote armed with the above. Uh, so armed with the layout, the timing, uh, and the model sheets, and then they also got rotoscopes. So rotoscopes, rotoscopes are... I know this you one. You know this one. So rotoscopes, for those who don't know, are um, they would film actors actually doing the movements that the characters are supposed to be doing, and then they would trace those. They would light them, put them on glass and light them, and then people would trace them. Um, dis- a lot of people, uh, Rake and Bass especially, used direct rotoscopes and stuff. It turns out that Rotoscopes were done for all the major human characters, so Snow White, the Prince, the Huntsman, the Queen, Um, but the Disney animators didn't like using them. They didn't think there was enough personality or lifelikeness to them. There was something stilted about it when you rotoscoped. So they did rotoscopes, but then they, and they handed them to the animators, but the animators just used them as reference. They didn't use them a lot as actual so there's a couple things that are rotoscoped in Snow White, but less than some people say there are. And it's obvious <laughs> what's rotoscoped. Yes, that's true too. Mostly the prince. The prince is heavily rotoscoped, I guess. Uh, yes. So armed with them and rotoscopes, the animators then do uh, they do extremes, which are the most important movements of the scene. So a lot of the beginning and the end, and any really major stuff in the begin in, in between. Uh, all of this is done. They have desks that are lit from below. Um, and then there's pegs on there and then the papers have holes in them so that they can line everything up exactly using the pegs and they would do five or six sheets at a time and that's all the famous videos you see where they're like flipping through the animation uh that's that's what it is it's the peg in their pencils so and then they would do pencil tests so those those things would be photographed and then played in something called a uh, uh, moviola which was a tiny little projection box. And it was just so that the artists, and they would do that daily. They would photograph the little things they draw and make sure that there wasn't any major like flaws in their drawings and stuff. So they would do that individually. And then a bunch of, um, a bunch of pencil tests and pencil tests were always in negative form with a black background and the, the outline was, was in white. So the drawings were in white and the background was black because that was cheaper. So, uh, they would then take a bunch of pencil tests and they would go to what was called the sweat box which was a tiny little projection room. And they called it the sweat box because one, it was a hot little room because there was a projector and lots of, you know, there was equipment and stuff. But also it was where Walt and the head director and the segment director and a bunch of the layout people and a bunch of the creative team would come and judge the work and, you know, basically tell you to do it all over again. So they so both physical and emotional sweat, sweat then. Yep, that was the sweat box. So they, they did that a couple of times until it was good. And then once it was good, it was given to the cleanup crew, which were mostly assistant animators and what were called the in-betweeners. Yes! Yep, and so they would take... I know about this! Yep, they would trace all the drawings um, 
and make them clean because, of course, this when the animators are sketching, there's lots of lines and stuff. So they would make them all pretty much uniform lines, and uh, and then they would draw. So the in, uh, the assistants would do a lot of the sort of the more important movements, but the in betweeners would draw all the frames basically in between movements that the head animators you know left out. So once uh once and then the, that was again pencil tested and put in the sweat box and everything. So once everything was finally approved, once everything was good to go, the animations were what they wanted. They were taken to the ink and paint department. Now, the ink and paint department is probably my favorite department. They were all women at Disney. Nice. Not everyone else did it, but uh, Disney determined that women were better at the details than men were. So the entire department was women. And what would happen is uh, the first group would, they would take the drawing and they would, they trace, so they get a piece of cellulose, so a, a transparent, you know, almost like a transparency that you would have for a, but made out of this, you know, cellulose stuff. And it was first really badly flammable. So they replaced it with a different component because that was something they were worried about. Uh, and so they, uh, anyway, they would take it and they would, on the front of those, they would trace the animation. And then uh, the, the paint department would have done uh, the same sort of model sheets that the animators had done, but this one would be for color. And uh, Disney had its own special, and to this day, no, no one outside of Disney knows, but they have their own formulas for the paint. Um, and their own like colors, so all of that is in done in house, and no one knows where they exist. Um, but they have a model sheet saying what colors are appropriate. So on the front half, they would or on the front side, they would ink out the outline. And uh, for Snow White in particular, they did this cool innovation where everyone thing before was black and white, but Snow White was going to be in color because also uh, at this point in time, they hadn't figured out how to do the new Technicolor with live action. They could only do it with animation. So that was another big thing, reason that Disney, you know, put his patent on it for a little while. Or took a, not patent, but like put a hold on it, made it an exclusive contract because he was like, ha ha, I can be the innovator of this. So, uh, but anyway, so they went on the front, so they would do ink, but some of the ink they would do, they didn't just do black ink, they also did uh, color ink. So like if the hat was brown, they would do the outline in brown. Um, and this is, I only mention this is important because later on when we get to Xeroxing and to a machine starting to do it, they couldn't do that and you can see the difference. So that'll be fun to talk about when we get into, I actually know the first movie that they okay. use Xerox on and we can talk about it when we get to that movie. But they would do the outline on the front and then on the back they would do the paint because if you did it on back, like you could do like layers and stuff and therefore it the backs look really messy but the fronts look really clean. So that was the ink and the paint department. And so once those were done and, and there were tons and tons and tons of cells for just one picture the cells uh there were multiple cells per scene there's there'd be a cell with like snow white and then a cell with like a dove or the animals and like each of them had their own uh own cell and own layer and then all of those would be placed on a background that was static and almost all the backgrounds Uh, it's and it's obvious yeah it's obvious that it's a static background and then the animation of the cells above it so that they could put the the background down and then just change the cells when they take the pictures so uh and then once the ink and paint is all done everything is handed to the photographers who use the x uh they use the x sheets to to set up the camera and the cameras couldn't uh pan back and forth they could only zoom or up and down they could only zoom in and zoom out so back okay. to now, so that was our brief foray into animation. So now we're going back to the actual story of Snow White, right? So Walt Disney's making his uh, making his symbol, silly symphonies. Now, 
the market stock market crash happened, as in the Great Depression. So that hit mm. on, of course, October 29th, 1929, which I always have to remind myself because I am the worst at dates. So that happens. Relatable. Uh, most industries go down. Entertainment uh, continues Goes to up. boom because everyone wants to get away from their troubles, so they all go to the movies. So Disney gets lucky because... And they make, like, Frankenstein and shit, man. Yeah, good and stuff it's good. Happens. So uh, Disney gets lucky because he, again, Disney was one of those people who he himself felt like he was lacking in talent, but he knew how to recognize talented people and he knew how to uh, to work with them and to hire them. So he started hiring a bunch of uh, animators and cartoonists and stuff, and especially people who, who probably would have normally gone into like illustrating books and stuff, but those jobs weren't hiring. Walt was, so they ended up, uh, coming and working in his animation studio, still on the Silly Symphonies at this point. Um, but he got a bunch of cool people. Now, the problem was a lot of them were cartoonists, newspaper cartoonists for the most part. They weren't uh, all that into animation, but teaching them the animation principles was okay. But Disney wanted, Walt wanted to make more and more realistic humans, which is, you mentioned the goddess earlier. The Yes. Uh, the problem, goddess of spring. The goddess of spring. That was uh, their first attempt at a realistic human. And her arms are noodles. Her arms are noodles. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, but uh, one of the animators, I, I, I've read several different accounts of this, but the, the one that I'm going to relate here is that uh, apparently one of the animators started, him and some of his colleagues started coming over to his house and they would hire life models and they would start, they were practicing drawing. And Disney got word of this and was like, that's awesome. Come do it at the studio and I will pay for it. So mm. they started doing that uh, and then he, and he made it, he it was, it was basically mandatory. It wasn't mandatory, mandatory, but he strongly encouraged everyone to go. Uh, and then someone got, I don't know if it was Walt or someone else, but they got the great idea to eventually and brought in Don Graham, who worked for the Culinard School of uh, Culinard or I don't know how to pronounce this, but he worked for one of the schools of arts in Los Angeles and he uh, he got hired to come in and it was there was a disconnect at first because, again, they were cartoonists and he was a he was a more traditional art, fine art guy, art guy. Uh, So there was a lot of disconnect between the two of them. But everyone was so gosh darn enthusiastic (laughs) that it just sort of worked out that the cartoonists were like, look. This is not our kind of art, but uh, we want to learn and we want to work with Walt and he wants us to get better. So we're going to learn, gosh darn it, if we die. So uh, so that was how the Disney school and I think eventually Don Graham quit work teaching at other places and he teached the school full time. There was a full time school by 19. 19- he teached it. He teached it. it. He teached it. There was a full school by 1932. So okay. uh, in 1934 is the first sort of big... I mean, Disney was starting to think about Snow White earlier than that. He had seen a version when he was like 14 of the silent film version of Snow White, and uh, he was uh, really into the story, and he remembers seeing that movie in particular. Um, So development starts in 1934. It takes four years, roughly, to make the movie. Uh, Disney's roughly 31 years old at this time. People could probably check my math on that. I'm not going to worry about it too much. So the the first really big fun story of uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves is uh, when Disney relayed the information to his staff that he wanted to make this movie and that's what 
this full-length animated feature, and that's the movie he did. And so here is a quote from uh, Ken Anderson. So Ken Anderson recalled, uh, we went to the soundstage where there was this tier of seats and Walt told us, told us the story of Snow White. It started at about 7.30 and went on till 11 o'clock. We were spellbound. God. He would become the queen. He would become the dwarves. He was an incredible actor, a born mime. We got to the end and he told us that that was going to be our first feature. It was a shock to all of us because we knew how hard it was to do a cartoon short. So Walt Disney got everyone together and acted out the entire story for his staff and said, we're going to make this movie. So uh, that was a great, uh, great thing. So Walt was attracted to the story of Snow White because of the potential for gags. He was a big gag man. In fact, he apparently bought a, uh, a file or a, like several filing cabinets, this collection of gag ideas off a uh of an animator and scripter. Uh, Embarrassing. And he brought in a woman named Dorothy. I can't remember Dorothy's last name. She's one of, she ended up becoming one of his concept artists, but he originally hired to come in and she was supposed to train all his animators on how to use the gag file. And oh, it was God. really hard to do. But he liked the story of the Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs because he thought it was high potential for gags, especially amongst the dwarves. And the story was originally supposed to focus on the dwarves. Uh, almost exclusively. The story was supposed to be from the dwarf's perspective. Dwarf's perspective. Uh, and he, he started off by, he would offer $5 a gag to anyone who came up with an idea. And one of the gags that like earned someone $5 is when the Snow White is sleeping and all the dwarves poke their noses over the bed one by one. That was a $5 gag. Okay. So like he was... Very interesting. Yeah, so he would offer $5 a gags. Gag is such a, a word. Know, right? Uh, oh, here's boy. a funny fact for you. So, you know, it's Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, spelled D-O-W-A-R-F-S, that kind of dwarf. Yes. That was the accepted plural at the time. Dwarves, with a V, uh, didn't become popular until The Lord of the Rings became popular. The Hobbit came out, was, the Hobbit was published in on September 21st, 1937. Snow White came out in December of 1937. So they came I out the that. same year. Do you know why I knew that dwarves and elves came from Tolkien? Why? Because there's that, that Tumblr post that says, these are my OCs, elves, not elves. And yeah. <clears throat> so. Exactly. So uh, that was what the story was supposed to be. The queen, the first initial concepts of the queen was she was quite fat and ugly. So, like, the initial concepts of Snow White, she had red hair, uh, she had blonde hair, she looked a lot more like Betty Boop. There's some, you can find images of her online that look like that. Um, so that was... Hey, guys, have you read the fairy tale in any way? Yeah, so that, that was the thing. It was supposed to be this huge comedy. Well, as they started working on it, Walt was like, no, it can't be. The One of the biggest fears in Hollywood at the time was that uh, no one would sit through a cartoon that was longer than only you know like 10 15 minutes they didn't think a feature life cartoon right. and they also worried that people like animation would hurt people's eyes they were worried <laughs> that uh it was a medical problem so the, the hollywood termed the movie disney's folly when they heard about it so that was the big thing it was called disney's folly for real uh oh here grim natwick it's right there grim natwick was the creator of Betty Boop, and he ended up doing a lot of uh, work on Snow White. He did a lot of the uh, Snow White's full body, and the other guy did uh, facial expressions, is what I heard recently. Okay, that surprises me. Um, yeah. 
but as the story went on, Walt realized that uh, he wanted emotional connection to these characters, and he so the darker tone happened. That was also a really big uh, thing with Albert Hunter, the concept artist. Uh, he was influenced by Arthur Rackham. He uh, was influenced by Nosferatu and the Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, some German expressionist Good. films. That's when stuff started to get darker, and they realized that the queen should be fat, and that they were going to still have gags, because there are a fair amount of gags with the dwarves, but that's when they started to leave that whole uh, idea of that. Um, so, again, Hollywood called it uh, Disney's Follies. Tensions were running pretty high towards the end of production uh, because the bank got nervous. It started, so the initial budget, uh, original bus- budget estimate was uh, $350,000. So three, five, zero, and then three zeros, which is about $6.4 million in uh, 2018 terms. Uh, that was the okay. original bust estimate, the f- bust budget estimate. There we go. Busted edgement. <laughs> yes, go on. The final budget. This is great. I found someone who had exact number. I don't know how. Ac- Everyone else was like, it cost about one point five million. Here's the actual number I have. Uh, I found somewhere. Uh, it was one million four hundred eighty-eight thousand four hundred twenty-two and seventy-four cents. Good. <laughs> so the seventy-four cents part made me super happy. The that's roughly twenty-seven point three million today. That's that's many. how much it cost. Uh, Walt had to mortgage his house. Uh, his brother Roy and his wife were both like, "This is stupid. Don't do this." Partway through creating this movie, uh, Disney went to the bank. Or uh, Roy came to Disney and was like, we don't have any money. You need to fix this. Uh, Then came the shocker. My brother Roy told me, this is Walt uh, in particular talking. My brother Roy told me we would have to borrow another quarter of a million dollars to finish the movie. I had to take the bits and pieces of completed film to show the bankers as collateral. On the appointed day, I sat alone with Joe Rosenberg of the Bank of America, watching those bits and pieces on a screen, trying to sell him a quarter of a million dollars worth of faith. After the lights came on, he didn't show the slightest reaction to what he'd just seen. He walked out of the projection room, remarked that it was a nice day, and yawned. Then he turned to me and said, Walt, that picture will make a pot full of money. And gave him the money. And he was right. Uh, he was right. Uh, I don't have the what that the money is in today's standards, but the box office internationally was about $8 million. <laughs> Pretty good. So by the end of its run was eight million dollars. Uh which again the budget final budget was one point five million. So yep. they made some monies. So but still, uh because of the, the money worry, the bank made them set a hard deadline. So they set right around Christmas of nineteen uh thirty seven getting close i read somewhere that it uh like they made two copies of the final film and got it to the theater there were uh the uh carthy theater is that the word yes the carthay or say the carthay circle theater they got it the prints were delivered mere hours before the premiere <laughs> like they were working on it till the last possible second oh, yeah uh, but tensions were so high uh because walt would change his mind all the time they uh ended up because again walt realized and I think he realized pretty late on in the production that uh, the story was going to focus on the relationship of Snow White and the Queen more than on the dwarves. Um, and so he ended up cutting two big scenes, which you can see on the DVD, uh, which are the bed-making scene where the dwarves are making a bed for Snow White. And it's the continuation of the washing scene. It's the scene where they Snow White teaches them table manners. Those both got cut 
uh, pretty close to the end. In fact, they were they were in the they were not yet to the inking and painting stage, but they were close to it. So you can watch them as pencil drawings. And uh, he the both those sketches were uh, done by Ward Kimball, and they were kind of his two big things. So he both of those being cut, he almost quit. But uh, spoiler alert: uh, Disney got him not to quit because he offered him the character of Jiminy Cricket. So he was to animate Jiminy Cricket Ooh, in okay. the next movie. So I we will obviously talk more about that next week. Uh, but uh, uh, Disney apparently unconsciously kept the beast. Uh, here's a fun, another fun quote. Uh, this is from Mark Davis. He said, "I think the greatest thing that Disney ever did was everyone ha- was have everyone called by his first name. He was Walt. I was Mark. You were Tom, Dick, or Harry. It's hard to get angry at someone that you're on a first name basis with. He somehow or other had that intuition. There were only two people who were ever called Mister in the early studio." One was a Mr. Rogers. He was a carpenter in his 70s, and so out of respect for his age, he was called Mr. Rogers. The other was Mr. Keener. Mr. Keener was the paymaster, and he was Mr. because the studio had trouble raising the money every week for payroll. (laughs) They say that over, uh, just around or over 750 artists worked on the movie. That's the largest collaborative art project in the U.S., certainly at the time. Uh, I think even now. There were 32 head animators, 102 assistant animators, 167 in-betweeners, 20 layout artists, 25 watercolor background artists, 65 special effects artists, 158 female inkers and painters. Uh, they made over 2 million illustrations and 15 or uh, 1,500 uh, different kinds of paint, shades of paint. Wow. Uh, Dorothy Ann Blank is the name of the woman who uh, they brought in for the gag. Uh, she's credited as one of the storyboard artists. The movie was released on December 21st, 1937 at the Carthay Circle Theater in um, Los Angeles. The audience included Judy Garland, Shirley Temple, Marlene Dietrich, which you know who Marlene Dietrich is, right? I know the name. She's the lady in Mommy's Favorite Western. Oh, okay. Yep. Uh, And Charlie Chaplin and Clark Gable. Uh, The movie came out around the same time. So the next year was, uh, so it was basically, it was was December 21st, so of 1937. So it technically came out in 1937, but no one really, other than these people, saw it till 1938. So it came out, uh, just for reference, it came out around the same time as uh, Bringing Up Baby, The Errol Flynn Adventures of Robin Hood. And you, uh, nice. Jimmy Stewart, you can't take it with you. Those were movies I had actually known and seen. Uh, here's a quote. This is one of my favorite quotes uh, about the premiere from Ward Kimball, who's the guy who almost quit. He says, uh, "As I look back on it, we knew that they were going where they were going to laugh from experience, but we weren't prepared for the crying and sniffing in the audience. That was the thing that I started hearing." Clark Gable and Carol Lombard were sitting close, and when Snow White was poisoned, stretched out on that slab, they started blowing their noses. I could hear it, <laughs> crying. That was the big surprise. We were worried about the serious stuff and whether they would feel for this girl, and when they did, I knew it was going to be in the bag. Everyone did. There's a rumor that, because it went from the, so it played in the car theater, and then it went and did its big premiere, uh, or did another big premiere at the Radio City Music Hall in New York, where it actually got brought back, which is almost unheard of there was a rumor that after its initial run they had to change the upholstery on several seats because kids kept peeing their pants during the snow white running scene 
Um, I don't think that's true, but I liked that story, so I thought I'd put that in here. Uh, it was the highest grossing talkie picture until Gone with the Wind. Uh, it was considered to be nominated for an Oscar, but uh, people petitioned to, they didn't think that a cartoon should get nominated for an Oscar. So, But a year or so later, it won an honorary Oscar. Uh, one of the few special Oscars ever made in that it's a big statue and then seven little statues. Um, and you can see the video Cute. of uh, Walt getting that award. It was uh, presented by Shirley Temple. That's the one where she says something about like, aren't you excited, Mr. Disney? He says, I think I'm so, or, or proud or something. He says, I'm so proud. I think I'll bust. Something that's from that. Anyway, there's. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, that's that's him getting his honorary Oscar for a major achievement. Uh, it's the first feature film to have major merchandise. It's also the first feature film to release an album. Uh, huh. There soundtracks were not soundtrack albums were not a thing, uh, but they released one for this movie. Uh, the music was of course written by Frank Churchill um, and Larry Moore. Maury wrote the songs, and Paul J. Smith and Lee Har- uh, Harleen, I think, wrote the score. Uh, there was an eighty-piece okay. orchestra. So. So that's the history here. So that was long. That was about an hour in and of that, itself. So uh, that was long. I will probably cut out a lot of it, but I thought that was really cool stuff.